Good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you've joined us this morning as we go through God's Word together. If you're just now joining us, we're going through a series on the parables of Jesus Christ. We're calling it the King Stories, Finding Hope in the Parables of Jesus. Just a couple announcements this morning before we get started. The first is this. Again, if this is your first time, welcome. would love for you to go to our website, pcpc.org slash men. And there you can register for this study. Now you might be asking, why would I want to register for something I'm watching online? Well, by design, this study is built around discussion groups. And so more than just watching a video, whether you're joining us live now or you're watching it later in the week, we want you to talk about these things with other men. And so go to pcpc.org men. You can find this study and click on registration. and We'll help you find a discussion group. The other thing I want to mention is this, is that if you've missed any of these last studies together, you can also go on study lessons, click that link, and you can watch all of the different videos, I think maybe four or so, that we've already been through. Finally, if you ha- are interested in joining one of our men's integrity groups, you can also go to pcpc.org men, and you can find those. If there are hidden sins deep in your heart, things that you don't want anyone else to know, things that are eating at your soul, I encourage you, join one of these men's integrity groups. They are designed with love and grace to show you how the gospel transforms even the darkest sins. So a couple ways that that looks like, you can find a sexual sanity group throughout the week, or we can have spiritual life as a man on Saturday mornings. Again, go to pcpc.org slash men and look at integrity groups. All right, this morning, we're looking at one of my favorite parables. Now, I know I say that probably about a lot of them, but we're talking about the parable of the lost sons. This is Luke chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 11. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out, and let's get started this morning. Again, Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything." But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to them, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe 
and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and we called one of the servants and asked what these meant and he said to him your brother has come and your father killed the fattened calf because you received, back, received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who was devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word for us this morning. It's an incredible parable, and it's a lengthy parable. So hopefully you're able to track those three minutes that I was reading you know, as I read that, I can't help but imagine what it would, must have been like for Jesus' first hearers to hear this parable. Now, the context of this parable is really important. If you have a Bible, I want you to back up to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And I want to show you something. I'm going a little bit out of order in my slides here, but I want to show you something about the context. This is Luke 15, verse 1. Luke tells us that now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. So these tax collectors, sinners, were drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the context of this parable. The original audience that Jesus is speaking to is tax collectors and sinners on the one hand and the Pharisees on the other. That changes the way that we understand this parable. Let me show you what I mean. Rembrandt, just before he died, about two years before he died in 1669, painted one of his most iconic works. It was titled, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Now, in this painting, it's a vivid uh, description through art of this parable that Rembrandt tried to, to capture every detail through a painting of what this scene must have been like. This younger brother coming back from completely squandering his father's inheritance what must the desperation have looked like on his face? And yet here's this gracious father who's embraced his wayward son. What must the love have looked like on his face? But you see, if you study that painting, what you'll find is that there is a third character, a third person in this parable that so often gets left out. It's the older son. And there in the background of this painting, you see the older son with a scowl on his face, looking down at his younger brother 
with contempt and judgment. He is seeing his father embrace him, and it does not make sense to him because this older brother has done every single thing that his father asked, and yet he's gotten no celebration. He's gotten no hug. You see, I think Rembrandt captured something in this parable that is often missed, and it's something that Henry Nouwen picked up. Henry Nouwen was so moved by this painting that he actually wrote a short book about this parable. And this is what he said. Again, this is Henry Nouwen. He says, the parable that Rembrandt painted might well be called the parable of the lost sons. Not only did the younger son who left home to look for freedom and happiness in a distant country get lost, but the one who stayed home and also became a lost man. Exteriorly, he did all the things a good son is supposed to do, but interiorly, he wandered away from his father. He did his duty, worked hard every day, and fulfilled his obligations, but became increasingly unhappy and unfree. So often, this parable is called the parable of the prodigal son. But this morning, I want you to think about it as the parable of the lost sons. You see, because both sons were lost. One son was rebellious. The other son was self-righteous. And these two things are two sides of the same coin. They are both paths away from the kingdom of God. Rebellion is outright disobedience. It's saying, I want to follow my own way instead of the ways of God. But what you have to see this morning, friends, is that self-righteousness is equally as heinous, and it's equally as destructive. When you see yourself as your own arbiter of justice, when you think you're the one who's in charge of what is right and wrong, and you make up the rules as you go, and you follow those rules, thinking that's going to earn your way into the kingdom of God, you do not realize just how far away from the kingdom you really are. And so let's get into it this morning. I want to look at this in several ways. The first way is this. I want to look at the rebellion of the younger son. Let's look at the younger son together. So as Jesus begins the parable, this is what he says. He says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. Now, I think one of the things that we have to realize is just how bold and brazen this really is. In those days, a son did not come to his father and say, You know what? I, I want my inheritance now. I mean, honestly, today, can you imagine that, those of you who have adult sons? Can you imagine them coming to you and saying, you know what, Dad? Go ahead and give me my inheritance. I mean, what is that saying? It's saying, Dad, I, I wish that you were actually dead. You know, it'd actually be better for me now if you were dead. And since you're not dead, go ahead and let's pretend you are and just give me what's coming to me. I, I would rather have your stuff than have you. 
That's essentially what this son is saying to his father. Already you see what's deep in his heart. It's rebellion. He wants nothing to do with his father. He wants no relationship with him. He just wants his stuff. Now, how often do we treat God in the same way, if we're honest? How, how often do we say, you know what? I don't really want a relationship with you. I, I just want the benefits of that relationship. I just want your stuff. I just want your blessing. And if you're not going to give me the blessing, then I'm not really interested in you at all. Already, those are the deep seeds of rebellion in our heart, and you see it in this younger son. Now, what's unbelievable is Jesus tells us that the Father does it. I want you to look again at the end of verse 12. We're told that the Father divided his property between them. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. So the rebellion of the younger son gets worse. Not only does he come to his father and say, you know, I wish you were dead. Just give me what's coming. I want my inheritance now. He then takes that inheritance. He moves away from his father, severing all ties to him, all relationship to him. And he goes to a far country, far away from his dad. And we're told that he squandered his property and reckless living. Now, this little phrase is why it's often known as the parable of the prodigal son, right? The word prodigal means, you know, lavish and, and reckless, that, that, that this idea that he squandered everything, he just spent it all. And he didn't just spend it all on some bad business deal or misguided investment, but we're told he squandered it on reckless living. And if you have any uh, question as to what that is, we're told throughout the parable that he purchased prostitutes for himself, right? He, he engaged in nefarious things, that he embraced the, the most heinous sins that this world has to offer, and he used his father's inheritance to do it. Again, I, I don't think we can undersell just how rebellious this younger son really was. I don't think we can undersell just how rebellious we are. If you're honest this morning, what does that rebellion look like in your life? What has that rebellion looked like in your life? Because look, every one of us is rebellious, right? Every child very quickly learns what it means to say no to their mom and dad. It's hardwired in us because of the fall, because of sin. We do not like authority, and so we rebel against it. We rebel against our parents. We rebel against the authority of the government at times. We rebel against the authority of a boss at work. We rebel against the authority of rules of some organization or system that we don't think make a lot of sense, and we want to do it better in our own way. We rebel against everything we're going through in the pandemic right now or this divided political uh, landscape. There are so many ways that you can see this rebellion in us. It's there, isn't it, brothers? But what I want to see is, is those things are just symptoms of a much deeper problem. That deep down, we rebel against God. We rebel against His authority. 
And if every parable is about the kingdom of God, to show us, to help us to imagine what the kingdom of God is like, then ultimately rebellion, we have to know, is about rebelling against the kingship of God. You see, in God's kingdom, he's on the throne. And where God reigns, there is peace, there is shalom, there is blessing, and there is restoration. Rebellion says, I don't believe that. Rebellion says, I don't believe that that promise is true. And so I want to get peace my own way. I want to try my own hand at restoring myself. I want to give myself to everything that this world has to offer. You know, maybe, maybe sin isn't that bad after all. That's what rebellion says. It's dark and it's deep. It's in every one of us. Every one of us. See this Isaiah 53 verse 6. The prophet says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And listen to this. We have turned everyone to his own way. That is the essence of rebellion, that when we turn to our own way, we turn away from the kingship of God and turn to our own way. We tell God to get off the throne. That's my chair, and I'm in charge. That's rebellion, and that's what this younger son did. The story goes on. Verse 14, we're told that when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You see how far this man has fallen. Again, having all of his father's inheritance, at one point being rich, wasting it all on the most broken things that this world has to offer, reckless living. This younger son has nothing. He's, he's spent it all. And he finds himself to be deep in need because a severe famine has come to the land. Now, I want you to notice something about what Jesus is saying in his parable. Again, we have to use our imaginations to really put ourselves, to see ourselves. And if we're really going to understand the story and we imagine this, we have to recognize that the reason why this younger son is now so deeply in need is not just because he spent all of his money. It's also because a severe famine came to the land. Now, spending all his money was his fault. But here's the question I have for you this morning. Whose fault was it that a severe famine came? That's God's fault. And you see, if we really put ourselves and imagine this parable, what I want you to kind of wrestle with is that it's God who sent this famine to the younger son. Why? How often does God send severe famines to our own lives when we are rebellious to draw us back to himself? It's called a severe mercy. It's when God in his kindness and grace draws us back to himself. 
He draws us back to himself, not just with an embrace, but he draws us back to himself with something severe that begins to pull away and strip away the claws that sin has on our hearts. So often as you think about the younger son, if you've heard this parable before, you think about the embrace that comes later. But I believe the story of the younger son coming back to his father begins here. It begins with a severe famine, a severe mercy from God, a a deep hardship that sobered him up. It helped him to see that what he was doing with his life was not worth it, that there had to be more than this. Brothers, has God ever used hardship in your life as a grace? Has he ever used hardship in your life to bring you back to himself, to show you that what you are doing is not worth it and it is far from the kingdom of God? Has he ever used hardship in your life to say, sober up, you're my son, and it's time to come home? That's what's happening with this younger son. He's hungry. He's now being fed with the pods the pigs ate. No one's giving him anything. He is literally at the end of himself. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, I want you to see that the state of mind, the state of heart that the younger son is in here. Notice what he says In verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what? He's right. Because of what he has done, he is truly no longer worthy to be called your son. But you see, this statement, I believe, is is not a statement of shame. It's a statement of desperation. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings through our sermon series, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. And this last Sunday, we we remembered again and we, we took note how all of the people who seemed to come to Jesus for healing came out of desperation. They were at the end of themselves. They, they recognized that without Jesus, they were absolutely desperate. And so they were willing to, to stop at nothing, to go at great lengths to fall at his feet and beg for help. I, I think you see in this younger son, not shame, but desperation, and there's a difference. If the younger son here was ashamed, he would have seen some of the same things. He, he would have been down on himself. He would have been downcast. But, you know, shame says, I am a sinner, and so I'm going to run away from God. That's shame. Shame is recognizing your sin, feeling exposed and saying, you know what, I have to run as far away from God as possible because I don't want him to see me like this. Desperation says, I am a sinner, and so I am running to God. Desperation says, I need everything because I have nothing. And so I am running as fast as I can 
to the arms of Jesus. That's exactly what this younger son does. Seeing the error of his ways, being exposed as the sinful younger son who has squandered everything in rebellion, he recognizes that he is no longer worthy to be called his father's son. And it's true. But rather than running away to him, he decides to run to him. And that, friends, is all the difference. That is what repentance looks like. Not turning from our sin and going deeper into ourselves and into our own shame, but turning from our sin and turning back to the Father. But before we get there, let's talk about self-righteousness. I want to look at the self-righteousness of the, uh, of the older son. So first, the rebellion of the younger son. Now I want to look at the self-righteousness of the younger son. All right? Let's look at this, verse 25. Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So again, there's two sons. Again, you have to imagine the parable. Put yourself into the story. Here's a father. He has two sons. Up until now, we just talk about this rebellious younger son, but now put yourself in the, in the shoes of the older son. What must it have been like to watch his younger brother come and ask his father for his inheritance now? I wonder how angry that must have made him. But then to watch his younger brother not just ask for his inheritance now, but then to go move away, move out of the house, and to squander everything, to just leave them there. How deeply hurt and angry must this older son have been? So, this older son, he's in the field, he, he hears music and dancing, and he calls to the servants and asks what these things meant. And the servant says to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Again, what must that have been like for this older brother? Why is there so much celebration? Why is there dancing? Whose birthday is it? What are we celebrating? And the servant tells him, your brother is home. What do you think his first emotions would have been? Confusion? Years of anger that have been stored up? And then perhaps he just can't believe that not only is his brother back, but that we're going to just celebrate him and embrace him as a family? Verse 28, this is what it says. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You can hear the angst. You can hear the confusion. You can hear the anger. What he's saying in so many ways is true. He really has done everything right, everything you would expect a son to do. He, he, has, he has kept every command that his father gave. Even though I love this line because it's such a good description of what 
the sin of rebellion looks like. That the younger brother, verse 30, devoured his father's property with prostitutes. That's what rebellion is. We do it all the time. Maybe not with actual prostitutes, but with the idols of this world. We squander the property of the kingdom of God on idols. Talking about this older son. This older son cannot believe that his father would embrace his younger brother. You see, this older son is angry because deep down he was self-righteous. Rather than have a real relationship with his father, it was built on his own righteousness. It was built on rules. You see, both sons had a very dysfunctional relationship with their dad. The younger son didn't want a relationship. He just wanted the father's property. The older son didn't want a relationship. He just wanted to follow his father's rules because he wanted to be seen as righteous. He wanted to be seen as the good son. He wanted the property too, but he wanted to earn it. He wanted to deserve it. This son was angry because he was self-righteous. You see, if he wasn't self-righteous when his brother returned, he, he would have been happy. He would have been glad. He would have been filled with joy. His, his younger brother had finally come back, but because he was more interested in his own righteousness and doing the right thing and keeping the rules in his own way, then when his brother came back, who kept none of those same rules, wasn't even playing the game that he was playing, he was filled with anger. He was saying, look, I did everything right. My younger brother did everything wrong. And so, Father, why would you have him back? Why would you embrace him? It's a pretty vivid picture of what self-righteousness looks like to us. It, it, it makes Christianity all about rules and what we do and what we don't do. And all the while, it keeps us from seeing the person behind the commands, that, that God's rules are right and good, but they should draw us into deeper relationship with him, not into deeper relationship with ourselves. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I don't know if you can read this. I know it's kind of a, a big um, paragraph, but I, I do want you to hear this because I think it's so well said. This is from your Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue. Okay, so let's just stop there for just a second. What he's saying is, look, at first, so often people think Christianity is just about rules. Now notice he says at first, some of you are still stuck there. Some of you still think that Christianity is just about rules. And for some of you, you love that. You've embraced that and you've kept all the rules just like the older brother. For others of you, you hate that. You hate the idea that Christianity is just about rules. And so like the younger brother, you've rebelled. But C.S. Lewis says that's what it seems like at first. You have to go past that. He says, yet it leads you on out of all of that into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not think of those things, except perhaps as a joke. 
Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror. It's filled with light. They do not call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They are not looking at it. They're not thinking of it at all. They're too busy looking at the source from which it comes. You see, if you are preoccupied with your own righteousness, you fail to move past that to see the source from which the idea of goodness and virtue and morality comes from. Moralism says, I need to be good in in order to earn God's favor. But you see, grace is something completely different. Grace says, God has given his favor to you. And so therefore, being completely blessed by the Father in such a lavish and gracious way, then live in light of that grace. So the final thing I want us to look at this morning, not just the self-righteousness of the older son, not just the rebellion of the younger son, but there is a third and very important character in the parable. It's the grace of the Father. Here's where we'll end. The idea of grace is often defined as unmerited favor. Maybe you've heard that definition before. And and as, as maybe commonplace at times that that definition can be if you've grown up in church. I actually think it's a good definition. And so if you've heard this definition a thousand times, or you've never heard this definition, I really want you to think about these two words together. The first word, unmerited, means undeserved, that you don't deserve it. Merit means it's something that you can earn. If it's unmerited, it means you cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. Favor. Favor is blessing. It's a father looking at his son with with great love and affection. A father out of that love and affection saying, I will do anything for you, son. I will give you every single thing that I have, but I won't just give you my property. I'll give you myself. That is favor. So those two words together, grace is the unmerited favor of God, that God would bless you even when you do not deserve it. And that's what we see in this father. Luke 15, verse 22. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again, He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, there are two parables that lead up to this parable. And again, the context of every parable is important. Not only is Jesus speaking to an audience of sinners and tax collectors on the one hand and Pharisees on the other. Can you see it? The younger son, the sinners and tax collectors. The older son the Pharisees. Not only is he speaking to this audience, but he begins with two other parables. First, the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin, and now the parable of the lost sons. And at the background of every parable is joy and celebration when what was lost is now found. Gospel of Luke 15, verse 7, says that there will be more joy in heaven when one of the lost sheep returns 
when a lost coin is found. There's more joy in, joy in heaven when a sinner who is lost comes back to Jesus than when those who are righteous can keep just keeping the rules. The idea of joy is central to salvation, central to what we know of God's rescue and redemption for us. It was out of the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross. And so here this father has run to his son. He has embraced him, and he is wanting to celebrate. Verse 31, we see the father's response to the older son. Again, the older son, he's angry. He doesn't know why his dad would embrace the younger son this way, his younger brother. And notice what the father says to the older son. Verse 31, he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What I want you to see here is that there's still grace for the older son. In the same way that there was grace for the younger. God has grace both for the rebel and for the self-righteous. Notice even at the end... This father says to the self-righteous son, all that is mine is yours. And yet there's a problem. See, the problem is not in the grace of the father. The problem is in the older son's ability to receive that grace. At the end of the parable, where are the sons? The younger son who squandered everything has come back and he is partying with his dad. He is celebrating with the servants, right? He is filled with the joy of this newfound, not just redemption, but restoration and reconciliation of relationship with his father, right? He is filled with joy, but where is the older son? At the end of the parable, where is he? Go back to verse 28. We're told that the older son was angry, and he refused to go in. He was so filled with self-righteousness, so filled with anger, so filled with contempt for his younger brother that he refused to go into the party. He refused to go into the celebration. He refused to experience the love and grace that the father had for his sons. Brothers, don't let that be you this morning. Though the father in the parable of the lost sons had grace for both the rebellious son and the self-righteous son, it was the self-righteous son who could not receive that grace. Because this is what our heavenly father has done for us. Our heavenly father loved you so much that even if you're a rebel this morning or you are self-righteous, he sent his own son to die in your place so that you might now be called the sons of God, so that you would not only be redeemed, but your relationship with him would be restored, that you would be reconciled to him, and that you could experience his grace. One of my favorite passages that talks about the grace of God for us as sons comes from the book 
of Ephesians. This is where we're going to end. Ephesians chapter 1. This is what the Apostle Paul says. In love. In love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. In love. He loved you before you sinned. He loved you before you rebelled against him. He loved you before you were self-righteous. And he loved you even while you sinned. So much that he sent his own son to die. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, unmerited favor, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, unmerited favor which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, a plan of, for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven, things on earth. Our God is a gracious Father, who not only has shown grace and mercy to us in rebellion and self-righteousness, but the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that he has lavished that grace upon us. He has given us so much unmerited favor that he gave us his own son. He sent his son to the cross in order to bring us back from the far country to bring us home. But he also sent his son to the cross so a bunch of hypocrites and self-righteous People who are full of themselves wouldn't stay outside of the party, but would be broken and find their way into the party as well. So which one are you this morning? Are you rebellious or self-righteous? Are you the younger son? Or are you the older son? God gave you his son in order to call you a son of God. Brothers, receive the grace that our Father has lavished Let's pray. Father, be with us now. It's good to call you Father this morning, to see you as a Father who's embraced us, even in our rebellion, to see you as a Father who even says, all that is mine is yours, even in our self-righteousness. And so we pray that these things would not cloud us. There are those of us this morning that are still walking in rebellion, still in the far country. Would you be gracious and merciful to us? And if you have to use a severe mercy to bring us back, would you do so kindly? For the others of us who are struggling this morning with self-righteousness, who are puffed up and arrogant and prideful, would you remind us that all that you have, you've given to us in Jesus, that there's nothing that we can do to earn it. We cannot merit it. And help us to see that this grace, this grace is good and right and that you have lavished, us, lavished it upon us through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we now pray and discuss these things together. Amen. God bless you guys. Go to your groups now. Discuss these things with great honesty, the word of God, and we'll see you next week.